Welcome to Trek Companion, episode 21. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we are discussing DS9's uh, fourth season, episodes Indiscretion, Rejoined, Starship Down, and Little Green Men. Here we go. Indiscretion, season four, episode four, production number 477. Original air date, October 23rd, 1995. Teleplay by Nick Teleplay by Nicholas Correa, story by Tony Marbury and Jack Trevino, directed by LeVar Burton, music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Penny Johnson as Cassidy Yates, Mark Alamo as Ducat, Roy Brocksmith as Razka, Saya Batten as Ziel, and Thomas Prisco as Hilaire. A Bajoran smuggler tells Kira he has recovered a piece of metal that might be from the Ravenok, a Cardassian ship that disappeared six years ago with a group of Bajoran prisoners, and among them a good friend to Kira. When the Cardassian government learns of this, they send Gul Tukat to, to investigate with her, and the two of them must put aside personal feelings to find out the truth of the lost ship. But when Kira learns of Dukat's real motives, she must be willing to kill him to stop him from murdering his long-lost daughter. Zial was Nuprem's daughter, and you... I was her father. Now I know why you're in such a hurry to find the survivors. You're hoping that... Oh, she's still alive and you can rescue her. Not quite. All right, uh, Steve, why don't you kick us off on this one? It's a big step. That's my favorite thing. <laughs> that's my favorite part of the episode, and that's the most memorable thing to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought it was all right. There were some good things. Obviously, uh, it's always interesting, Kira and Ducat, uh, relating to one another. Um, you, you definitely, it, it's always that, uh, it always seems that Kira absolutely hates Ducat. I mean, there's really, that really never sways from that. Um, yeah, well, this would be like going on a, a camping trip with Hitler if you were a Jew. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Exactly, <laughs> but uh, and then and then what is that in the graves? Meat? Did you all think that looked like a raw hamburger in those graves in the desert? I thought that was odd, but uh, wow, I, I can't say that. I looked that close. Yeah, I missed uh, that totally. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, check it out. Raw hamburger in the graves. Yeah. Mm, great. I'm I'm dying to go get a hamburger. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I felt um I I remember this episode, and I always remember feeling uh. And still, after watching it just recently, um, it's a little bit like an awkward uncomfortableness about the episode. And I think that's maybe what they were trying to display between Kira and um, Dukat, you know, flying on a rescue mission together. You know, there, there's always, I mean, it's not quite as, as uncomfortable to me when Cisco and Dukat are together, but it, it, for sure when Kira and Dukat are together alone, it's just, it's, it's uneasy. You know, one of the, the problems, and I overall, uh, I enjoy watching this one. Um, I, it seems like I say that a lot because hey, I like DS9. It's like <laughs> one step underneath my average enjoyment, <laughs> you know. But uh, the, kind of one of the, the problems in this episode, one of the things that holds it back for me, you know. So, so you've got um, the the two best scene. I mean, the whole the whole thing, the best stuff, of course. I agree. It's um, Ducat and and Kira, and my favorite two scenes the very very end which is incredibly brief and we'll talk about that in a moment and then you know the kind of campfire scene that starts off with this nice tonal change by um you know Ducat sitting on the 
mm-hmm. the, the prickly thing, pear. <laughs> yeah, the, and, that, and that was funny. But the, you know, I, and it's it's interesting that they share this kind of almost moment, but but that it still can't bring them closer together because of who she sees him as. Um, but you know, at the end of that, they have a nice another nice tonal change. And when um, Kira says she figured out that this this girl is his daughter, and then he says. You know, that's I'm not exactly here to rescue her. I'm going to kill her. Um, if this was like the first episode we'd ever seen them or something, maybe. But really, it's hard to watch that and have any sense of drama because we know he's not going to walk up and shoot and kill some teenage girl. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Is that it's just I, I don't feel any his line. The line almost is meaningless to me. Well, least, I know it's not going to happen. At least not at this point in the series. <laughs> Maybe down the road he might be a little bit more willing to shoot people. But shoot his daughter? Well, no, you know, I mean... We know well, him, we know we know Kira, and it's just, the, it's such a, an empty thing, but it's supposed to be. It's not like it's delivered in an empty way. It's supposed to be real. You know, you guys didn't, this didn't bug well, you guys? Well, I, I, I understand what you're saying. I think what... I think there's there's a line in there where Kira, you know, confronts Ducat about it. You know, she says, "Why would you tell me if you weren't going to kill her?" Yeah. And I think that's the I think that's a, a lot of the root of the problems with Ducat. He has this this vision of what he's supposed to be. What you know, I guess society. Um, you know, Cardassian society tells him he's supposed to be what he's supposed to do, and he's always had like a conflict with that. If you look at him when he was. Um, during the occupation, you know, we learned that he didn't really he didn't want to kill the Jorans. But he did. I'm not. I'm not trying to, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. make him sound like a better person. But he, there's always been an inner conflict at Guldicott, and I think if they didn't add that line there at the end, I think it was Kira's it was line. kind of in, yeah, Kira's line. I think it was kind yeah. of implied, but I think they had to say it. I, he, he didn't want to kill her. And I, I agree with you, but he was trying to do what he was supposed to do, and that's that was that. What whole, if what if what if what if he hadn't said that in that scene at all? And he had just walked up. Everything it, he had never said he had to kill her, but then just like everything else, he got separated. He found her, and he was aiming his weapon at her. And Kira came up and stopped him, or because he didn't really want to, or whatever. I, it might have been a little more effective to me if it yeah. had been like that. And I think it's still been in keeping with the you know his conflict that you're discussing between uh, mm. who he is and who he thinks he should be. Mm. No, I agree. Yeah. I think they could have gone that way. It would have worked that way as well. Yeah, I think it would have worked. They may have done some of this for time. I mean, by mm-hmm. when he, when, since he tells her that, they have to have the big argument about it. I mean, you know, and it, and it just keeps going. They argue about it. I mean, if if he if they just if he just pulled the gun on her at the end, what are they going to talk about half for half their trip? You know, so maybe that's why they did it. I, I like the scene with um, uh, the two of them on the the runabout, kind of heading out, and I think that's the scene where where Ducat talks about. Uh, he's he's trying to say complimentary things and he's trying to get on Kira's good side and he yeah. says, when we arrived, you know, meaning the Cardassians when they started the occupation of Bajor, when we arrived, you were a weak race and now you're strong, you know? You were weak and pathetic and you had no direction. He's <laughs> well, trying to get on our good side. Well, that, that's Ducat. He's always trying to justify the actions of himself and his people, his race. He's, you know, he's trying. I mean, I don't think he's trying to convince anybody. It's, you know, more unconscious. He's trying to convince himself what he's doing is is right and just and all that. We always make a point of noting uh, firsts. Um, 
and let's see, this is the first time we see Zial, who's going to be a significant character in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the first time we actually see the Breen, although we've heard about him forever. <laughs> although yep, yep. we sort of don't to see them. <laughs> Depends how you count it. <laughs> Do we ever actually see under the masks? I don't. I don't think. No, so. I don't believe so. Yeah, no. Um, what do you guys? So, what do you guys think of the B story? I, I know it's a big step. But. It's funny. It's not really connected to, to the, the story in any way. It's it's kind of it's kind of yeah. humor. I also like not just him saying it's a big step, but some of the carrying on with like Bashir and Dax, you know, talking to him and stuff and how complex it gets. Then Quark coming in and saying ridiculous, you know, giving ridiculous advice and so forth. I I love the look on his face kind of in the beginning whenever she says, I I could get quarters in the station. Or you could get, Dax says, you could get quarters in the station. (laughs) It's a great idea. And then (laughs) this is looking at her. (laughs) He like turns his head and he waits. Yeah. (laughs) That's a pretty good look. You know, I mean, some of that, some of that kind of stuff gets uh, gets tiresome at times, and feels like it kind of breaks things up because it's not so serious. But I, th- I think overall, this series handles so much of the like relationship kinds of things realistically. And I think this is a good example. You know, I mean, there's not there's nothing ideal about any of it. This is a thing that it's a very guy thing, really. You know, we we yeah. relate to what his reaction. You know, it makes sense. I mean, you it, know, on that same you know realistic kind of an extension to that idea. Um, I like that it's Cisco kind of making a mistake. You know, he, mm-hmm. he screws up here. You know, yeah. we don't see that a lot, but we don't see captains in Star Trek do that a lot. But you know, in the, his personal life, he, he this is this is kind of stupid that he does that he says. He, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's a big yeah. step. Yeah. Um, what do you got for what this? What do you guys got for what this is about? Well, for the series itself, I mean, you know, looking back, it's. In a weird, strange way, Ducat not killing his daughters, almost in a strange way, his undoing later on, mm-hmm. because you know, you know, um, Zial really is becomes like um, a very central person in his in his life going forward, and and not a very, I guess he would say for his Cardassian life, not a very good one. I think he he loves her very much throughout the series, and he you know he pretty much sacrifices everything for her, but. Well, that- um, I, I, on that note, I would like to then talk briefly about the very end. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Kira says, so So Dukat tells Kira on DS9 that he's taking Zial back with him to Cardassia. Uh, and Kira says, won't that make things difficult for you? And Dukat says, I'll let you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what do you think he was, what was he thinking when he says that? I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> What's going he's being on? an ass. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, think, I think he always wants to ties with Kira. I think uh, I think that that's just a way to keep up a, a open line of communication. Like, oh, that gives us something to talk about or something. You know, I, I think he wants a connection with her. Sort yeah, of. and in a way I was thinking, he, maybe he's even thinking like if this does go bad for me, it could almost be good for me in Kira's eyes. She might mm. respect, she, she'll respect me more if I um, you know, if I'm willing to sacrifice all these things for my daughter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, we, you know, that, that could be true. I mean, we learn more about Kara and Dukat's um, relationship that it goes a lot further back than we know at this particular point in time. So that's very plausible. Steve, what do you have for what this one's about? Uh, I don't know. It, um, perhaps that um, 
perhaps that the so often life is not clean cut you know and uh i think for, for example with you know with ducati he goes in he maybe he really thinks he's going to come in there and take care of business and it's all perfectly legit because it's the cardassian way but i think so often we encounter and that may be a kind of a way to tie the a and b stories together too a little bit mm-hmm. is that so often life throws us a curve and uh you have to adapt and, and deal with it to the best of your ability and just kind of be true to yourself and do the right thing, uh, even if it does, if it's not a convenient thing for you. Very good. Anybody got anything else on this one? No. No? We're massively staying on schedule today, let me tell you. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Six degrees for indiscretion. Uh, Adam. Shoot. Roy Brocksmith plays Raska Karn, the Bajoran that kickstarts Kira's quest by finding salvage from the Ravenok. In Next Gen's second season, uh, the episode Peak Performance, he played Sirna Kolrami, a Zakdorn strategist. Although Sirna was a third-level Grand Master at Stratagema, Data was able to defeat him. How did he accomplish this? He went for the tie. He didn't actually try to beat him. He just tried to play to a stalemate. And that is correct. Played to a stalemate. Very good. Steve. Yes. Saya uh, Batten. Saya Batten uh, is the first actress to play Ducat's half-Bajoran daughter, Tora Zial. In Voyager's 7th season, she played Irina, the pilot to Harry Kim's co-pilot, uh, facing off along with Paris and the Delta Flyer, in an interstellar ship race. Name the episode. Mm. Yeah, I've, I vaguely remember that. Um, wow. I don't know that I'm going to be able to come up with a title, though. How about we say the race? No. Adam? I remember the episode. I don't remember the, the title either, so I'll just take a shot in the dark. The Grand Prix. No, uh, go back to Steve. I got a hint. Uh, okay. It also happens to be the name of a completely unrelated, uh, but new movie that's coming out that just came out. Okay. Nothing. Mm-mm. Adam. A movie that just came out. Mm-hmm. Uh. Just drive. Is that what just came out? Is that that movie, the the driving movie? Yes, it's called Drive. <laughs> drive. Did you say just drive? <laughs> I said just drive. Just drive. Well, that would not be it. <laughs> Is it drive? <laughs> drive. <laughs> okay. Uh, no. <laughs> no point for either of us. First <laughs> point. But then nobody got it after the hint. All right, moving on. Rejoined Season 4, Episode 5, Production Number 478, Original Air Date October 30th, 1995. Teleplay by Ronald D. Moore and Renee Echevarria, Story by Renee Echevarria, Directed by Avery Brooks, Music Composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast includes Susanna Thompson as Lenara Khan, Tim Ryan as Dr. Bejal Ottner, James Noah as Dr. Hanor Prin, and Kenneth Marshall as Michael Eddington. A group of Trill scientists led by Dr. Lenora Khan will be using the, devi- the Defiant to conduct wormhole experiments. Dr. Khan, we learn, is a joined Trill who, in a previous host, was married to one of Dax's former hosts. 
Khan lost Dax early in their marriage to a dangerous accident. Now the two must deal with love lost and their feelings for each other without being exiled from Trill society for taking on a past host's intimate relationship. The shuttle was not ready for a full impulse test, but Tarias had to do it anyway. And he was wrong. And whatever part of me is still Tarias is very sorry. Um, now this is funny. During our break here, we were kind of ordering the episodes today, uh, in, our, in our in our what we like, what we don't like. <laughs> and Steve said, "I would definitely put rejoined last." And he just <laughs> immediately said that. And it's funny to me because when we were watching this, my wife actually turned to me and she said, "I bet Steve hates this episode." <laughs> wow! <laughs> and that's just from listening to the podcast. <laughs> that, that's that's actually- Fascinating. What what prompted that her to? I mean, for what reasons did she? She, get? Just, she just turned to me and said that it was very funny. That's I don't know. I thought, but Steve, you like you like the trill episodes. I, I do, but I also hate emoting <laughs> right and left like this. The, that part of it reminds me of the flipping Meridian episode. You know, it's like that. Like Meridian combined with this makes Dax look bad. That, that that's my <laughs> opinion. It makes her looks like well, she's so flighty. You know, like she. This is not as in all fairness. This is not as. No, bad. I'm not. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying in conjunction with it, you get this impression. You know, you start thinking, man, she just kind of like she's so easily swayed by these kinds of things. You know, emotions and feelings. Logical. Yeah, there's there's more young Jadzia than uh, old experienced Dax in these reactions. Yeah. Um, But let me just start off by saying what I like about this episode. Mm -hmm. Um, What I like about this episode is that. It's very easy for me to give you a what it's about. And I don't think it has anything to do with homosexuality, although I applaud, you know, Star Trek for taking you know, it on. showing us a same gender type relationship and then just not even pointing out that it's the same gender relationship. Mm-hmm. That's what's great mm-hmm. about it. But in that sense, the episode doesn't really have anything to do with um, homosexuality. But that I can so easily tell you what I what I think it's about, you know, that it has a theme and a meaning. Um, more than any other episode we're discussing today, for me, that automatically makes me like it. It automatically makes me think of it as, you know, incredibly true to Star Trek. Um, and we'll talk in a minute by, about what I think it's about. But, but um, because of that, um, it holds up for me in a way, and, and I and I enjoy watching it. Um, another thing, another thing I do like about it, and, and the same reason I like. It, the trill focused episodes in general is because of the unique, uh, because what a sci-fi show can do when you have like a character that's lived different lifetimes and this kind of thing, you can, you can draw an analogy to uh, what we go. How is that like? Even though we don't have a worm inside us that travels through Hmm. different lifetimes, Mm -hmm. what can we draw from that? And I think in this case, it's that it's the conflict that we often have with quote unquote past lives, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the notion of, you know this idea of reassociation. Uh, what, uh, what you know? Because we we have conflicts. We we meet new people. We get in new relationships. And how does that relate to our old relationships? Like when is it compatible? When yeah. is it not? So that, this, this is our. This is what I think it's about. I'll just. I think that you know you can't turn off your past. You can't turn off these emotions that you feel. You know when you end a relationship. You have to really cut it off. Uh, otherwise, you you know, you can't move on with your life. You know, uh, um, so and that and that's 
So it's definitely not about homosexuality, uh, but it's about this this um, this idea that that uh, you can't stop loving somebody. Mm-hmm. I don't care, even if you ended it for all the right reasons. You know, if you if you see them again, these are in, these are now almost like instinctive responses. Uh, and if you don't let them go, if you don't just cut these things off. Um, then you're never going to move on with your life. And in the Trills <laughs> universe, mm-hmm. uh, that means you're never going to move on with your lives, mm-hmm. plural, mm-hmm. which is exactly why they have this taboo about reassociation. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's a fascinating notion, too, because uh, obviously they don't delve into it because they have no reason to. But where does one draw the line? I mean, they talk about like roman- they're addressing romantic relationships, mm-hmm. you know, husband, wife in the past. But what what all does that include? Uh, people that were your uh, relatives in the past lives, uh, people you just knew yeah, I, at I all. Wrote of- that, I took and wrote a note here where I asked that exact question. I wasn't quite clear on that. It does seem like if anything, they're saying that it's just people you've had a romantic relationship with. Mm-hmm. But still, it seems like people you had any kind of relationship with, you could doom yourself to um, yeah. the, the, the whole problem that, that they, this taboo is designed to solve. Mm-hmm. You know, still. Well, it's, um, well, it's interesting, you know, because like um, we see very, you know, uh, it, sometimes Star Trek's very clear on what it's trying to represent for me. And sometimes it's a little bit more ambiguous, but um, we see the Trill Society and um, – for me, it was kind of a first on how, you know, they deal with, in our society, um, people who believe in past lives, reincarnation, energy that just, you know, keeps reincarnating into something. And to me, that's what the trill is about. And um, if you think about it, if, for instance, like, hypothetically, that we all live multiple lives in our existence, we build up karma between each of those lives with people that we interact with throughout the centuries, Theoretically, this is what people believe. And I have a little bit of a, a belief of it, too. So this is just kind of a look at that. What would it be like to encounter somebody that you have, not just love, but just like karma? What, you know, it wasn't done. So that's why they had to come back together. They're, yeah, what well, they were the, to learn from each other wasn't done. So that's why. That's the difference, because away. we're not talking about two people that decided to just end their relationship. You know, we're not talking about a couple mm-hmm. that got divorced or something. You know, he you know, Dax in male form, uh, died in an accident. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they were pretty young from what I remember, mm-hmm. from what I understand. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's what, so, so their lessons that they were supposed to learn in that lifetime with each other were cut short. And so this was kind of like the resolution to that. And, you know, that's one way to look at it. That's kind of how I look at it. And it's how I kind of feel this, what this episode is about. But I'd also agree with you, Brian, from what you said earlier, this episode's very clear on, more so than the other episodes about what it's about. And it, and it, hold, it holds up for me, you know, throughout the time, the years, whatever. Yeah. Now just think if, what if they had pointed out the, the, um, same sex relationship and the fact that it, I mean, the, you know, the fact that it is same sex relationship, it would immediately make this thing feel really dated. Wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. it certainly yeah. would. Just a few years from now, we already see the, the, uh, advances in, um, you know, with, uh, and it would have been a different Same episode. Relationship rights, yeah. And it would have been honestly, it would have been a different feeling of an episode if they did point that out and if that was the focus. But I think they consciously made a choice to say, you know what, this thing in, in 300 years from now isn't going to be an issue. I, I do think that it's interesting to compare this episode to what was the name of the next gen episode with uh, Crusher and the Trill. 
the host. Yeah, I believe and so. That yes. Was just, what three or four years before this, maybe probably something like that. Yeah. Now think about that episode. Now in that episode, um, you know, Crusher has this relationship with this male trill. Uh, what happens? There's an accident or something. I don't remember. But he has to. The symbiont has to get transferred. He's transferred into a woman, and yeah, Crusher something. is is immediately no longer interested in pursuing mm-hmm. a relationship because it's a woman now. Yeah, they don't specifically say because it's a woman, but it's, they make some excuse. Yeah. They're like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't deal with these changes, and we and we it's they know you know they're just bypassing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and here, just a few years later, uh, almost the same kind of situation dealt in a dealt with in an incredibly different way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so now when I watch The Host, it feels pretty dated to me. Mm-hmm. I haven't watched right. it in a while. Right. But yeah. And it's something to put on your list. I think it's I think it's also indicative of, of the advancements that have been made. You know, I I remember at the time you were conscious of it. I mean, it wasn't like it was pushed mm-hmm. and was promoted, but there was some media around it, you know, so oh, they're gonna do you this. Mean, in this episode when yes. you joined like the two the two women are gonna kiss, kiss and this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh and watching it now I mean, I'm aware of it, but it, it's so irrelevant. I mean, you know, it feels like it, it's it's so in the background somewhere. The notion that there are two women doing it, you know, yeah, it, it's well, it, made today. It's commonplace today. Not have yeah. made the the media like it did then. Yeah. 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 Um, th- that said, and we've talked about this before, but you know, Star Trek is, uh, you know, unfortunately the the one um, area where it's been. You know, conservative compared to everything else, where they, you know, mm-hmm. really uh, were for, first in. You know, uh, mm-hmm. when it came to homosexual things, they've been behind the curve, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and, and our whole discussion here, by the way, we were trying, we're being very factual about it. You could probably guess at least what my personal opinion is, but we're, I'm not trying to inject any of that into here for our listeners. Um, you know, I'm trying to respect lots of different viewpoints. Um, but you know, factually, you know, it is true that this was controversial, uh, whenever this episode came, what, what was this? 96, five, 95, 95, you know, in a way that it would not be controversial today. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked about what I thought it was about. Adam, you mentioned it. Steve, you got anything else you want to say on that? No, I, I think that you covered it. You hit, hit it right on the head there. Um, let's see. Oh, I, I wrote down here that I think Worf was really happy uh, in command of the Defiant whenever the little wormhole blew up and the ship was damaged. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, speaking of, Worf had the funniest scene in the episode when he's talking oh, yeah. for himself. What are you on stream about? <laughs> that was funny. What is his line? Uh, it would give you cold sweats in the night. Or <laughs> Chills up your spine. Best you do not know. <laughs> yeah. I sort of like the opening with the magic trick in the egg. I, I remember that from the past two with Quark. It's a trick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Best year, it's a trick, and then he suggests like she regurgitated the egg or something preposterous. Yeah. He apparently is unfamiliar with Occam's razor. The simplest explanation is usually like, <laughs> yeah. she yeah. transported it in, <laughs> transported it into her mouth. Yeah. Six degrees for rejoined. What's our score? Adam has one, Steve has not one. Uh, all right, Steve had the last title question. So, Adam. <clears throat> Susanna Thompson plays Lenar Khan, 
uh, Bajoran scientist and Dax's long lost love. She may be best remembered by Trek fans for playing the Borg Queen on Voyager in four episodes, which were really two two parters. Name either two parter. <laughs> Voyager episode name is my expertise here. Um, so one I, of them was originally broadcast as a two-hour movie, and then the other one was the season six, six cliffhanger going to end season seven opener. Uh, but only if name one. I really have no idea. Steve. To be honest with you. It's all Steve. Um, okay. The Scorpion? No. That's a good guess, though. Mm. I, I would have guessed that, too. But no, she played her in uh, Dark Frontier and Unimatrix Zero. Ah. Mm-hmm. We're doing really good on the episode names today, Steve. Yep. Mm. Steve. <clears throat> yes. James Noah plays Dr. Prin, the Bajoran scientist who keeps a watchful eye on Dax and Lenara. In Voyager's third season, he played Dr. Uh, Rislan, a Nerian. The Nerians had a novel way of trying to steal Voyager, uh, which involved a technique called translocating. Um, how did this work? And I've got a hint here. Uh, the Nerians acted like they didn't know what was going on when they started. Hmm. Wow. So I'm not looking for some scientific explanation, just what was happening. What was their mm-hmm. process here to... Uh, slowly take over Voyager. Uh, gosh, doesn't really ring a bell. Did they, did they like, um, replace crew members or something? I don't know. No, I'll give that one to you. Yes. Uh, they, they beamed one Nerian in and then beamed a Voyager crew member out. Oh, okay. Okay. That's what you were, yeah. you were thinking when you said Yeah, yeah, something along those lines. It was very yeah. vaguely, I remember it as only. Yeah, that, no, that's right. So every time they would, they would beam uh, Nerian in, they would beam a Voyager crew member to this like, off-site prison fake holodecky thing. Mm, yes, uh, okay. And then they would act like, I don't know how I got here. And <laughs> yeah. All right, so one-to-one. Starship Down, Season 4, Episode 6, Production Number 479, Original Air Date, November 6th, 1995, Written by David Mack and John J. Ordover, Directed by Alexander Singer, Music Composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include James Cromwell as Hanok, F.J. Rio as Muniz, Jay Baker as Stevens, and Sarah Mornell as Carson. Cisco and his officers take the Deviant to a remote system in the Gamma Quadrant for a trade discussion with the Kamara. Representative Hanak. During the talks, the two two approaching Jemadar warships are detected. The Jemadar force the Camarium vessel into the atmosphere of a gas giant, and now Cisco must risk ship and crew to save them. That is what we usually talk about, even when we're not working. I get the feeling it's not that way between you and Dax. You and Chief O'Brien, but then you're not a revered figure in their religions. <clears throat> okay, so in the grand tradition of <laughs> uh, the ship breaking down and the people in different pockets working on different things, what was the Enterprise? Uh, Enterprise. What was the next gen episode? Uh, you know, 
where I think Picard was stuck with the kids and <laughs> oh yeah 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 um, I'm blanking on the title. Well, generally, I like these kind of things, you know. Normally, mm-hmm. the other ones, like you know, they've done it on the actual station. DS9 has done it, where you know everybody's been cut off, and in different sections, they're working to fix different things, like uh, civil defense. The episode that I've often talked uh-huh. about, how much I love that episode. Next gen episode I just mentioned had similar things. Um, this episode, I'm not sure it works quite as well. It's got a couple of nice moments, but. Um, I hate to say kind of the most memorable things to me from this episode. I love the Cromwell and Shimmerman scenes. Hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, there's, they're just so much fun together that I don't even care what they're talking about. I just, <laughs> they're both so good and they're so good together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then probably the most memorable stuff for me are the, um, Kira Cisco scenes. Yeah. Uh, she talks about, she she talks a little bit about uh, how she understands that her relationship is different with him than his relationship might be with anybody else on the station, just because she sees him as a religious icon and, you know, mm-hmm. the others do not. Um, and I always remembered that scene, uh, but just overall, I can name for you too many, I can name for you a lot of things, things the things in this episode, I can name for you more things in this episode that I think don't work than do. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I agree with you. You know, they have they compartmentalize all the all the crew, you know, in different areas of the ship, and then they have this whole, you know, kind of like um, sub battle going on in the gas giant, which to me kind of makes it a little bit more entertaining. I, you know, I like those kind of cat and mouse type things. You know, you can look back into the original series. What was it? Um, Balance of Terror. This isn't like that oh, episode yeah. for sure, but I mean, mm-hmm. it has that element. You know, like where the Jemadar or yeah, yeah, sensors it's, it's don't a, work. There's a lot of a sub. It's, you know, this was based. On kind of the an idea of an old submarine movie, um, you know, and in that sense, I've read how like Ira Bear and a couple of the others maybe were disappointed. Like for example, the sequence with um, uh, where Bashir saves Dax. You know, close that bulkhead, Doctor. We've seen that in t- sub movies since the fifties. You know, mm-hmm. recent ones too. Um, I forgot the two guys that came up with the story for this, but one of them had just seen Peterson's uh, Das Boat film you know just a great stuff mm-hmm. movie from the 80s um but anyway that scene you know, close that bulkhead doctor and then he jumps in and he grabs her <laughs> and he goes into the compartment you know if that was water rushing in you know that would have been a lot more exciting but it was just some gas that was, a <laughs> it was you know, deadly <laughs> gas yeah so i think yeah uh, yeah i think the faults of this episode is that maybe they tried to do too much with it i, I would have preferred maybe they um instead of focusing on all the personal relationships in the episode and to me, they're kind of quick. I really like, like I said, I really love the Kira Cisco stuff, but I would have preferred to see that more in a, a full type episode. It's kind of well, brief in this one, but I mean, I, maybe if they would have focused more on just, you know, the actual excitement of being in this gas giant and, you know, a cat and mouse game going on, they were trying to do both. And, you know, I, see, and I can see what you're talking about, Brian. It doesn't exactly fit. It's play unfortunate together. because, uh, the reason they, they rejected the original idea, which would have actually been the defiant, you know, getting crushed in water and stuff as it gets deeper and deeper in actual water was because they're like, oh my God, that's going to be way too expensive. We can't do that. Um, but they, this was a, like a, the effects work in this episode, all those, the gases and stuff, that was, this was one of the earliest DS9 episodes that just, it's really chock full of CG work. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. But still doing uh, water CG stuff on a budget right now is still, you know, not 
easy at this point. But just a few years later, Voyager was able to go to a whole planet of water. Mm-hmm. You know, so you yeah. see that the technological advances. At least here, they can do the gas thing. Um, but just a few years down the road, they could have had the technology and the budget uh, to do the original intention of water. Mm. Yeah, I think in general, I think that's what's going on with this is that it's it's not bad. It's just that they take a concept that we've seen many times before. They execute it correctly. I mean, you see, mm-hmm, yeah. you know, the shot the shots are. I mean, you know, there's a lot of close ups that makes it claustrophobic. There are scenes shot from below, so you kind of get this eerie feel when things are happening. All that stuff is there, but we've just seen this kind of thing so often, and there's nothing particularly special or particularly DS9 about it that you can't really. It's just like a the generic sub battle, whatever yeah, the assigned like, episode or something. For example, you you imagine, um, I don't know, Hunt for Red October or, or or Das Boot when they're sitting there listening for that sonic, you know, for the mm-hmm, for the, mm-hmm. the sound to the ping off the hole, the ping, yeah. right? Uh, and what's the equivalent here? It's the little graphical thing with the yeah. echo thing. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just kind of. I love I love how they explain the ping and that I'm like you know they should all be you know pretty much technically savvy enough to know oh, what the, the ping the is. Oh, the old Bajoran resistance method. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like a, it's, they it's always so use that. That's that's their throw. Hmm. <laughs> this is a method we used to use when they need a primitive technological solution. They'd go to the Bajoran and say, "We used to do this in the Bajoran resistance." <laughs> um, I like the scene where uh, I've already said I like the Cromwell Shimon scenes, but I, I like the scene where you know where they. Uh, uh, disarm the torpedo, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, that's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it. the opening is kind of funny. All those nutty Ferengi taxes. That, uh, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well, you know, I, I I like with them with you know with James Cromwell in there. You know, of Cork, and he's explaining to him. It's like your way is boring, and he's describing you know how basically how Cork likes to live his life. You know, kind of by the little bit on edge you know the whole game i like his whole explanation about gambling and and you know the thrill and all that kind of yeah. thing it was um it was a good um full dialogue there in the middle mm-hmm. and we get some more <clears throat> uh stuff with hey wharf you're not on enterprise anymore mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so he has to learn this this new way of dealing kind of with well i don't know if it's so much the difference between next gen and ds9 as it is wharf now being in command a command role instead of yeah. yes. So worth dealing with commanding uh, subordinates that aren't well. Just as as O'Brien said, they these guys never went to Starfleet Academy. They're just enlisted. Yeah, engineers. Engineers, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. Those scenes kind of, and I and I think it's kind of exciting to say that we had to control the ship from you know engineering. From engineering. Ooh, yeah, this won't be the last time we see Worf yeah, have a little bit of trouble with command. Um. So, um, I I don't know. I, I I don't dislike this episode. I mean, I, I'm not. I don't know that there's any episodes left of DS9 that you're going to hear me say I hate this episode. We've had <laughs> those were a couple of earlier ones that I would say that about. I don't think there's anything left I'm going to say that about. Um, but I wouldn't say that I like this episode. You know. Uh, yeah. And I'm not sure. You know, if you skip this one, you'd really be missing much. Oh, yeah, I, w- I was entertained. I enjoyed it. I love the little the submarine plot, and even though it's yeah, been done some, a million like I said, times, the CG work is cool. There's, we, <clears throat> it's just that you know, like I remember when I first saw this episode, being really blown away by this 
the special effects. I don't know if I was conscious. Oh, no, look, they're using computers now. I don't know if I thought that way, but I thought the special effects were pretty awesome. But now, by today's standards, this is like that's like early computer work. So by today's standards, it's it's fine, but it doesn't even that doesn't excite me the way it did. 15 years. And well, I mean, I'll say this also about the episode. We were talking about how, you know, even though I don't think the, you know, interrelationship stuff that they did and the, the subplot that they did mixed together work, I really liked all the interrelationship stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cisco and Kira, I think it moves their relationship to a, a different step. I mean, you know, her coming to terms with who he is and him coming to terms with what she believes he is. And, you know, and it brings them closer together, especially going forward. Yeah, and we had uh, uh, Bashir and Dax. They had a little bit of... There was a little you know, bit of a re- resolution to that, you know, what was yeah, going on exactly, first yeah. seasons. I, I like his line <laughs> when he <laughs> says something about, you know, you like to be in chased. And she says, oh, you're not going to start <laughs> that up again. And he says, uh, don't worry, Jesse. Now that I know you liked it, I don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> I like that line. Um, but uh, you guys got anything for what this is about? No, nothing. I think yeah, we, I like, think we've kind of covered it. Yeah, when I, I I could give you a couple of scenes and say what that scene is about, but that's not what we right. discuss on the show. We discuss what is the episode about. The entire and, episode. Yeah, um, and that's what means something. You know, you can have a I can write a scene that means something, but when the actual narrative of the episode doesn't support it, no. That's yeah, I mean, I mean that's that. This episode is about several different things that they kind of kind of cram into one episode it it may work for you it may not okay uh golly feels like we're moving on early on this one but we're gonna (laughs) we got another one don't worry because six degrees is really exciting right now (laughs) six degrees from starship down finds steve and adam battling it out one to one uh, Steve, one or two? One. Okay. James Cromwell makes his only appearance in Deep Space Nine as Minister Hannock, the uh, Karama trader. By the way, you guys remember how the first season or something we saw, they, they mentioned the Karama when um, uh, Cork uh, goes to the Gamma Quadrant and comes back and says, oh, the Karama. And we, all three of us said, do we ever see them again? No. <laughs> <laughs> Three or four times, and every time I remind you, look again. <laughs> we didn't just see him once. <laughs> James only appearance in Deep Space Nine as Minister Hanok, uh, the Karama trader that, among other things, helps Quark defuse a torpedo. Cromwell is best known in Trek for playing Zephram Cochran in First Contact, Star Trek First Contact, the eighth film. But Cromwell was not the first actor to play Cochran. Who was? I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, no. Cochran was originally played by Glenn Corbett in the original series episode Metamorphosis. In Metamorphosis, it is discovered that Cochran has been kept alive for the past 150 years by a mysterious entity named what? Okay. Um, let me think. Is it, uh, is it the provider? No, you're so close. Uh, Adam. Let's see, you said provider. Um, oh, the caretaker? 
No. What's the name of our show, guys? Oh, yes. Yes, yeah, right. <laughs> the Companion. That is correct. Oh, Provider was some other original series thing. There was another episode with Providers. Absolutely. That's what I... Okay, good. All right. <laughs> uh, Adam, so we're still at one-to-one, right? Yep, yep. All right, Adam. In what episode of Enterprise did Cromwell reprise his role as Cochrane? Um, I don't mean... They did use some uh, like footage from the film First Contact in an episode of Enterprise. I don't mean that. I mean he was actually in an episode of Enterprise as Cochran. Um, it was the um, first episode. I know that. The series, the series pilot or the beginning. Um, I don't recall the name of the episode. Hmm. I don't know if I should require the name. I feel like I should, but we've had a lot of mean name requests today. So I'll give that to you. I'll give you the pilot. You okay with that, Steve? Yeah, it's cool. All right, fine. For the record, the name was Broken Bow, which I believe was the name of the city that the Klingon crashed in in Enterprise. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. So, two to one. Little Green Men, Season 4, Episode 7, Production Number 480, Original Air Date, November 13th, 1995. Teleplay by Ira Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf. Story by Tony Marbury and Jack Trevino. Directed by James L. Conway. Music composed by Paul Belergen. Guest cast include Megan Gallagher as Nurse Garland, Charles Napier as Dinning, Max Gradanchik as Rom, Aaron Eisenberg as Nog, Connor O'Farrell as Carlson, and James G. McDonald as Wainwright. <laughs> Quark is excited to receive a shuttle his cousin Gala has owed him for 10 years and decides to use it to fly Nog to Starfleet Academy while doing a little chemosite smuggling on the side. But just as the shuttle enters Earth's system, Rom is unable to to take the ship out of warp and realizes his spiteful cousin designed the ship to malfunction. Now Rom must use the chemosite to stop the ship, but not all goes to plan when the three of them wake up in a 20th century military base. What do you know about atom bombs? My people have been watching your world for years. We know all about you. Baseball, root beer, darts, atom bombs. It's quite a fascinating culture you humans have here. And with a little Ferengi technology, it can be even better. Adam, why don't you start us off on this one? Um... This is a very, this is a clever episode. They're, you know, using a little bit of pop culture from, you know, you know, reality to kind of explain something that, you know, to use, they're using Star Trek to explain a pop cultural thing that happened here, you know, in 1947, you know, obviously mm-hmm. the Roswell thing. And I enjoy it. It's a, it's a fun episode. It's clever. Um, it has a good pace. It's funny. Um, it's one of those ones where you hear about, uh, um, it's almost like the the script was a one sentence cell. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I always remember. Uh, gosh, not even, it wasn't even this. There was the episode of a Voyager where Seven of Nine's technology crosses with um, somehow she crosses with uh, the Doctor's hollow emitter, and like a 29th century Borg is created. Remember that one? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember, I remember hearing the writer talk about that. So that's the only, that's, that was the only script I ever sold, the only idea I've ever sold before I sat down in the chair. I was walking to the office for my pitch session, and I said, uh, you know, uh, Seven of Nines crosses over with uh, uh, the, the Doctor's Hollow Mitter and a 29th century Borg is born, and Michael Piller, I don't remember who, he said, sold. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he liked that's it. how I think of this episode. 
Quirk, Nog, and Rom are the Roswell aliens. So, yeah. You know. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it makes a lot. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a great pitch. And it, it turned out to be a really great, great show. Of course, when this episode came out, it was nearly the 50th anniversary of uh, the Roswell supposed landing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's, this, is, this is, I mean, I remember seeing the, uh, the whatever the trailer the for this or whatever you want to say the week before and it's like oh that's that's genius you know you knew where they were going yeah. with it and uh and yeah it's not a really deep episode or anything like that but it, it is a lot of fun you know yeah it's funny really not very much happens in this episode mm-hmm. you know it's it's all, most of the episode is them in like a an examining room basically mm-hmm. um that's but still, the money yeah but it's, it's such a it's such a solid idea uh, and a fun idea. Uh, although, you know, one thing I was I, I was kind of wondered about this episode. Why didn't they open it? Like it seemed, you know, the teaser is uh, Nog selling his stuff like you're supposed to do when you become an adult because mm-hmm. he's going to go off to Starfleet Academy. And then uh, they end up in the in uh, Quark's ship, maybe. But at any rate. We don't know any. They don't travel into time. They don't go to Roswell uh, until after the teaser. I mean, until after the opening credits, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wouldn't it right. be a really great teaser to somehow, you know, skip some of that opening stuff and just open the teaser with them sitting up? By the end of the teaser, I mean, they sit up in the beds uh, in at Roswell, and then we get some kind of a thing like uh, this is 1947 Roswell in there that, and they're the Roswell aliens. And then it goes to the opening credits. I always thought that would have been a little bit stronger. Yeah, that no, makes sense. Yeah, I, I could I could see where you're going there. You know, they do spend a little bit of time, and you know, they have the you know, Rom's basically his garage sale. <laughs> He's getting rid of all, getting rid of Nog's all his garage stuff. Sale. Right? Yeah, Nog's yeah. Garage yeah. Nog's garage sale. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, they spend a little bit of time on that, and um, they could have shortened that up a bit and spent more time. But I mean, really, what were they going to do? What were they going to do on Earth? What more could they? Could yeah, they it's done? probably a time yeah. thing. You know, yeah. they had to. Yeah. I mean, they weren't going to spend stuff. any money on sets. Yeah, a lot of funny stuff. I, I still laugh at the head banging parts. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> their translators are broken. They're hitting on their heads to try and make them work, and then you see uh, the army personnel banging on their heads and, and trying to—they're mimicking us or they're copying us. Whatever. <laughs> that makes sense. Still, what's hilarious to me is you have um, Cork in there being kind of like the moral compasses. Like they—they they radiate their atmosphere. They smoke. <laughs> they radiate what's wrong their with these planet? <laughs> what's wrong with these people? <laughs> And I like how cigarettes and atom bombs are in the same sentence. You know, it's like this. This is the problem. There, there's the cigarettes and their atom bombs. You know, they throw. Like, and yeah, the the cigarette stuff can be a little bit in your face. You know, but it's still funny. It's still funny how he's just is smoking. He's sniffing, and it's like, what is this? And what are they doing? You know, and stuff. It's funny. My wife pointed out something interesting I hadn't thought of before. This episode reminded her of uh, the third Planet of the Apes film. You guys, remember that one? Vaguely. Yeah. Okay, well that's that's the one where um oh god, I don't remember the characters' names, but where Roddy McDowell and his wife because remember the, the the second one ended ended with them literally destroying the entire planet. Right. Uh the third one opens with all of a sudden Roddy McDowell and his the, his ape character and his wife are um Aren't they on like normal Earth, human yeah, Earth? Like they're like in nineteen seventies Earth. Uh, they've gone back in time. They apparently went back in time right before the explosion. Um, 
and they're being they're studied in the little lab before and they start talking it takes them a while to communicate yeah she was right there are a lot of parallels actually mm-hmm. yeah. yeah um well then well i mean you know that I, I that movie they'd add a little bit more you know moral you know storyline this i think was just more just it fun. probably had I, about the same budget as this episode. <laughs> yeah, I agree. But I, I think their intent in that movie was to say, you know, kind of like a role reversal. Um, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I can see kind of the parallels, you know, going back. But I, I, I don't know. I, when you were going to talk about what this episode's about, I really can't really say other than the fact that it's just entertaining and kind of fun and clever. One thing I um, thought at the end when they go like, uh, when they have to fly into the atomic bomb explosion in order to travel forward in time, I actually thought, you know, it must be hard after a while to keep coming up with new ways for people in Star Trek to travel through time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, and I love how they get right back to the point where they, um, you know, like nothing. Oh, yeah. You know, the, 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 everybody always gets back to their original point. No, no questions, no problems, whatever. <laughs> But that's that's science fiction. You can just, you know, write it however you want. Um, one other silly little thing that occurred to me while watching this episode. In a way, doesn't this episode say, factually, for all of DS9, every time we see the Ferengi, they are not speaking English? <laughs> yeah. Doesn't it, doesn't it really mean that? Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, it makes you wonder about all of them. You know, it's obviously... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think they needed to go into too much explanation about the universal translator. You know, obviously, you know, they they kind of show it as a, like a little chip or gadget inside your ear. And, you know, I didn't really need the need that to be explained. You know, it's always been like, you know, the universal translator. That's what allows us to talk What's to each the, other. Was it Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where it's like a fish they put in there? Yeah, they, they put something weird <laughs> in their ear and that that's their same kind of hmm. Uh, so we don't have much for what this one's about, huh? You could, you could say it's metachlorines that help them, you know. Ah, <laughs> oh, right, right, right. I totally watched all the Star Wars movies last week. I had my nephew come down because the, the Blu-rays came out. We watched 1, 2, and 3 on Saturday, 4, 5, and 6 on Sunday. And I was ready to watch Star Trek after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, so, well, since you did watch them, I haven't seen them yet. So since we're going, we're jumping from one movie to another. Did um, did they actually throw in Vader saying no at the end, where he's about to kill them? Yes, I read that. They and did. It's every bit as dumb as you expect it to be. He screams okay. no at the end of episode six. But <laughs> nobody, uh, nobody added no to little green men. <laughs> no, no. There was no need. It was perfect the way it was. Hmm. Um. <laughs> What do, you, what do you got for this is about, Steve? Any, anything? Not really? Mm, I, I don't know. I mean, they they may be trying to convey some kind of um, moral lesson about the failings of people yeah, in the no. past and this yeah, crap. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. For me, you know, about- this episode does have a lot of fun references to 50s B-movies. Mm-hmm. All the characters are named after, you know, actors and actresses uh, that were big then. Um, they actually, some of the couple of the actors in here were in a lot of um, maybe not fifties B movies, but uh, movies. You know, movies like that, Roger Corman <laughs> stuff. Um, so you know, it, it's it's fun in that sense, but I'm glad we have this episode. 
Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and always thoroughly check out the ship that your cousin gives you. <laughs> well, he did check it out, but then it still had a problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I always felt kind of bad that Corey, you know, he must have got a, you know, he had to sell that ship and basically only had enough money to get passage back to DS9. I'm like, that's always how it is for him. He comes into anything, he has to give it all up somehow, so he's back at square one. Every time. Yeah, and he doesn't make any money off of it. It's like, yeah. oh, you know, that was supposed to be a nice ship. You think he could have made a little profit on it? <laughs> I like Nog's line. Uh, I've always been smart, brother. I just lack self-confidence. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. Um, mm. So we don't have much on this one. But you know what we are doing today? Staying on schedule. All right. All right. See, ladies and gentlemen, we are trying so hard to stay on schedule today because we're having to record really late. Well, it's not so late for me. I'm in L.A., but for our Chicago and Kansas City <laughs> uh, players, it is very late. So, Oh, Just now they know where we live, so they're gonna, all our fans are going to come We out. talked about that in our <laughs> episode ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, six degrees for Little Green Men. What is our current score? He's up 2-1. Okay. Um, hmm... All right, then, Steve. No, let's do this. Okay, Adam. All right. Megan Gallagher plays Faith Garland, the nurse that is ignorantly skilled at oompox. <laughs> In Voyager... Oh, by the way, you remember, she's, she's also the same girl that played uh, that episode where they came and tried to steal Dax's symbiote. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, she was the girlfriend. Right, right. But I'm not asking about that. She also played, in Voyager's seventh season, uh, she played uh, Jaren, a locker rim female that is hesitant to allow the doctor to heal her injured Captain Rannick in the episode Body and Soul. Why is she hesitant? Why is she hesitant to let the doctor heal her captain? That is correct. That is the question. Um, damn it. I guess I got to start watching Voyagers again. You keep asking me <laughs> Voyager questions. Um, I'm going to say she was hesitant for the doctor to heal him because he was a bad, bad, bad man. No, Steve. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. I remember the title better than I remember the episode. I mean, I, I remember it's doctor related and I remember the title, but uh, it's just not, it's not coming back to me. I'm going to, um, they must, maybe, I don't know, they had some kind of moral issue with doctors or something. No. She has a moral issue with holograms. She's a holophobe. Oh, oh yeah, okay. In fact, the entire species is at war with um, holograms. All right. See, I'm tr- I was trying to make the questions a little tougher today. So our <laughs> current score is still 2-1, Steve. So this is your chance to tie it up. Okay. All right. Charles Napier plays Rex Denning, the cigar-chomping general who doesn't trust men from Mars. In the original <laughs> series' third season, uh, he played musical space hippie Adam in The Way to Eden. Finish this song lyric. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Heading out to Eden. Oh, God. Yeah. Two, two words. Blank, blank. Heading yeah. out... Uh, is it is it yay brother? There you go. Hey, hey brother. Very good. <laughs> we should have to, now. You should have to sing the whole verse, Steve. Yeah. You should. 
<laughs> that's one where like Vulcan instruments somehow sound like like <laughs> '60s organ and stuff. It, it's it's fascinating. <laughs> Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, <laughs> that episode is actually very hard to watch because it's so... Yeah, oh, it's it's so, pretty awful. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty awful. <laughs> yep. It's the it's a prime third season episode of the original <laughs> series, let me tell you. Okay. Yeah, you know, I was so excited. This whole... We've been hearing more... Ever since the summer, we heard about, uh, you know, Paramount or CBS. I'm not even sure which. I think it's Paramount. Um, going back to the negatives for... Uh, three or four episodes of uh, Next Gen and putting them out like on Blu-ray as a little sample test kind of thing. Um, and every week this month, we've heard, oh, it's going to be this week. They're going to announce it. It's still all rumors. Although LeVar Burton tweeted a week or two ago that he that uh, Paramount showed him the Blu-ray tests. So that makes it seem like it's real. But at any rate, I was hoping that we were going to have that to talk about this week, that they were going to officially announce it. And nope, again, nothing. Um, announced at the same time they announced iPhone 5. <laughs> That's about at the same <laughs> conference for some reason. <laughs> yeah. So maybe by next week uh, we'll hear about that. All right. Uh, and next week we are going to be discussing uh, the next four episodes of DS9, which uh, sounds like it's going to include the two-parter on Earth. Mm-hmm. With the uh, you know Dominion paranoia, is that the right two-parter? Yes. All right. There's a good a good lineup on the next step. Yeah, the next yeah. step are all pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, like Brian said, I mean, you know, there's really not a, there, you know, there might be some episodes that are like, eh, but you know, like I said, there it's pretty good from here on out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no, um, I don't know, move along home. Meridian. <laughs> <laughs> it's the M's. If it starts with an M, we're in trouble. Yes. Okay. Until next time, thank you so much for uh, listening. I was talking to somebody else about this the other day. We, we don't have fans. Star Trek has fans. We have listeners, and we love our listeners. Um, but you could do us a huge favor and leave a re- review on iTunes. Just type, you know, we love these guys. I love these guys. <laughs> um, I love them a lot. Um, yeah, that's it. Uh, <laughs> okay, like I said, it's really late. Uh, I love you, Brian. It's not late in L.A. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to, I, w- I want to finish up in time to, to watch the Office season premiere. Um, oh, I've already watched it. Huh? Yeah, I know. You darn central. See, look, we timed it perfectly so you can do that. Okay, so we're out of here. We're out of here. Um, so leave us a review on iTunes. That would be awesome. Follow us on Twitter. That's uh, We're at Trek Companion. Our Facebook page, fan page, which we need to tell Facebook. I mean, I'll, I'll call Mark Zuckerberg and ask him to change it to a listener page. Okay. Uh, and it's uh, facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Uh, what else? Uh, send us an email, trekcompanion.gmail.com. Uh, yeah, that's everything, right? So we're good. Yeah. There's cool. a Twitter page in there somewhere, too. You can look it up. Yeah, I said that. I said Twitter. Did you? Okay. See, it's late. It's late. <laughs> 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 All right. We'll catch you next time. See you. Bye, guys. Bye.